Hello again. Welcome back to The Kicker, the weekly podcast from Columbus Business First. I'm Dominic Kappa, Editor-in-Chief, joined by Managing Editor Doug Buchanan and reporter Dan Eaton. Hey, do you like to eat? Who doesn't? And whether it's a slider or sirloin or hummus dish, the business of eating is the topic of our conversation this week. A few days ago, we sat with John Barker, the articulate CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. It's an organization with a broadly based membership that includes dining businesses from one-off hot dog joints to multi-million dollar dining chains. And he sees a lot of what's going down in one of the state's largest industries. Our conversation with Barker covered a wide range of topics for the industry, but he hit on a number of issues that have relevance for any business operator, whether they're running a clothing store or a steel mill especially when he talked about the company values and their connection to workers and customers. Barker also gave us insight into what he, what he sees underlying Ohio consumers' fragile confidence in the economy. Other points of our discussion included the war of words over the minimum wage and what restaurateurs think when they hear presidential candidates put business in the crosshairs of their campaign rhetoric. We also talked about what might become the next big trend in dining. And if you stick around, you'll find out what snack keeps Dan Eaton going during the day. Here's our session. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, well, John, you said uh, you said uh, you've been out uh, visiting members five weeks into into a road show, um, uh, uh, talking to them about the industry, uh, uh, hearing their concerns, issues, trends. Um, what are some of the key things you're you're hearing? Uh, you know, five weeks into this uh, uh, this mission to go out and meet your members. Yeah. Well, um, well thanks for for having uh, both me and the Ohio Restaurant Association here. Um, yeah, we've been on the road. I started uh, uh, my position as president CEO in uh, in January, and one of the things we realized uh, early on is that the members, you know, they want to they want to meet uh, the the leader and they want to meet the team. Uh, and hear what we have to say, but importantly, you know, we want to hear what they have to say because they're the people that are out on the front lines. And, and when I say members, so we're all clear what we're talking about, it's uh, it's everybody from uh, people who are in the food service business. It could be people that uh, have one restaurant somewhere in some little town in, in Ohio, anywhere. It could be um, a big chain like a Bob Evans or a White Castle, that kind of thing. Um, it could be a caterer, uh, somebody that uh, is in that business. So it's not necessarily a location, but... They use a location in, in, you know, sell food. It could be people who are in the distribution business. So you might be familiar with people like Cisco or U.S. Foods, people like that. Um, and other kind of what we call allied members who are around and providing services to, um, uh, you know, to our members. And so it's a great, it's a great cross-section. It's actually, from an, an, you know, kind of an economic viewpoint standpoint, you couldn't get a, a, a kind of a better view of, uh, of a cross-section of Ohio and America. And their concerns are... Um, uh, a number of things. They're actually, I think, experiencing, at least in the state of Ohio, um, a, a pretty nice turn in the economy. Um, it's not all the way back. Uh, they're not feeling 100% confident that they're feeling better than they were a year ago. They're feeling better better than they were probably two years ago. Um, the restaurant industry um, does kind of feed off of consumer confidence. And consumer confidence, uh, and we see the numbers, and so we don't know what the numbers are, but I always, I'm always afraid that the consumer confidence number isn't truly reflecting sort of uh, the spending that's going on because that, that is sometimes a, a little different number. <clears throat> but what we, what we see is consumers are, are a little more free with their money, and the only direct correlation we can see right now is gas prices. And so when gas prices drop, remember it dropped down, you could drive around even Columbus, Ohio, and find gas for $1.39 for, for a few days. 
And uh, I'm old enough to remember those prices. It's been quite some time. But, uh, um, and I think that just it gives people a little step. I mean, the actual difference in how much money they have, if you calculate it, is not tremendous, right? Because gas is just one purchase they have. It's almost mental. You know, it's, it's kind of a mental difference. And um, there's been a, a little bit of relief at the grocery store as well. And on an item, for example, like beef. Beef, had, if you remember, beef hit all-time highs, right. mm -hmm. and it's such a staple of, of for American consumers. And I think when they see things like that coming down a little bit, um, they just they feel better. And so, you know, one of the items that they have to decide from their discretionary income are they going to go out and eat? Are consumers going to go out and eat the same amount of time more? I think a lot of Americans tell you today they want to go out and eat even more than ever. The choices are fantastic out there in the Columbus. And even the restaurant scene in the entire state of Ohio has you know, improved so uh, dramatically. Um, and so they have to feel a little bit better, though, to go out. Instead of always getting the value meal, they feel a little bit better about maybe pricing themselves up a little bit and getting something a little more expensive at, you know, if they're at a, a quick service restaurant or maybe go in the mid-scale. And instead of getting the, the value uh, meal there, maybe they're, they're willing to kind of step it up a little bit there. And, and instead of maybe only going to fine dining once every three months, Maybe they're willing to go, you know, twice every three months, things like that. So it's a little steps, and we see it in uh, a couple numbers. Traffic, traffic's up a little bit, and we see it in check, average check. Those are the two components that we always track pretty carefully in the restaurant industry. So they're feeling pretty good about that. Um, on the flip side, you know, they are always concerned about things that are uh, making their business harder to run. And, uh, and it's any kind of regulation, obviously. That, and, and most business owners will tell you, we're all for regulations that do things like provide, um, you know, uh, safety nets around things like food safety. They're, they're very focused on that. I, I won't come across, I've never come across a rent restaurateur that who wouldn't uh, agree to that. But they are concerned about uh, some of the issues, such as, um, you know, um, the Affordable Health Care Act, which... We hear a lot of opinions about this, but if you talk to the people who are on the front lines that own these businesses, they'll tell you it's been it's been uh, very difficult for them uh, to manage through that. Um, and then, of course, they're worried about some of the other items like minimum wage and tip credits and, and things that are very specific to retail and restaurants and food service. So those are some of the things that uh, that they're concerned about. What's um you you bring up minimum wage and in uh, Ohio, I think several years ago. Uh, they set the minimum wage. They it's higher than the federal wage. It's it's indexed to 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 inflation. Is there any movement on this state on trying to raise that? I know there are, uh, there's actions in other states. There's pushes to get it up to fifteen dollars. I think it's around eight dollars here in Ohio now. Right. Um, what uh, what do you hear specifically here in Ohio? Yeah, it's eight dollars and ten cents mm -hmm. in Ohio. And um, I should say before we we talk about all that that most of our uh, employers, most of our uh, restaurants. Uh, and anybody really in food service or any of the, the businesses I talked about being aligned to this, hardly anybody's paying minimum wage. And the reason is market forces are uh, kind of, uh, you know, moving wages in what I would call kind of healthy directions. Market forces say if you want to hire very good people, not only do you have to have a great hiring process, you better have a good set of values in your organization because, you know, young people are very discerning on where they want to go today. They, they have all the information at their fingertips, right, to kind of look at companies and, and decide they don't just randomly walk down the street and, and go into a restaurant and apply. Um, but, you know, most restaurants are not paying at the minimum wage. And those who are, are typically reserving that for uh, the really young, uh, you know, kind of person who has literally no skills. And I'll, I'll give you an example. My son, uh, who I love dearly, but he doesn't have a whole lot of skills, okay? He's 17. Going on the internet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's 17 years old, and uh, he's a smart young guy. 
but he didn't have a lot of work skills, so he's working at a restaurant, and they're paying him minimum wage. He's doing a great job. And I told him, I said, you do a great job for probably three or four months. They're going to look at you and say, Christian, how about a 25-cent raise? Because you're doing a great job, showing up on time. You're being nice to customers. You're doing your job, that kind of stuff. He'll learn some real good life skills. The other place that uh, you might see people with that closer to the minimum is is very part-time workers. And they're really just looking to kind of augment income somewhere else in their life. So it could be a spouse. It could be they already have a job, and it's a second job and things like that. And, uh, And so it's appropriate for that. But, you know, most other jobs are coming in above the 810. And so, you know, we think that market forces, you know, are, are very efficient. And, um, you know, all the, all the kind of noise around minimum wage seems to be mainly driven, you know, by people who are uh, either activists uh, or kind of, you know, being kind of driven a little bit by uh, the kind of unionization ideas. And uh, they're looking at kind of artificial numbers that who in their right mind would say we're going to almost double the minimum wage and there's going to be no fallout in the economy. Um, look, I studied uh, economics as an undergrad, and I have an, a, a master's uh, from the Fisher School at Ohio State. And I will tell you, I know enough about economics. If you double one element of a P&L, not much profit's going to come down, right? You're going to have a lot of L's and not, a P, not, not many P's coming down. So they're very, con- very concerned about that. There's, no, um, there's nothing that we know about right now in terms of uh, moving the state uh, minimum wage from where it is, I think, uh, you know, where it is right now. The governor is very happy, you know, with that, and, and the legislature seems to be. Um, <clears throat> but there's always the, um, there's always, uh, you know, the possibility that you could see it at a, a city level or maybe a local level where somebody's uh, looking at, at something higher than the uh, state uh, minimum wage. And so we watch that, obviously, and, um, you know, we stay close to, you know, our political uh, uh, contacts on that. Beyond wages, what what are what are some of the best practices that you see that restaurants have to deploy or employing to get the best that they can in terms of workforce? That is, um, <clears throat> I tell you, when you look at the best run businesses, you almost always know they have the best hiring and training processes, right? They're very good at looking out into the marketplace and having kind of a screening process. And and many uh, people in the restaurant business will tell you that we w- want to make sure that they have some technical skills, that they actually know how to kind of walk into a restaurant and say hello and, you know what I mean, uh, you know, maybe open up the back counter and, and, you know, and they can train you on that. But the best places are hiring people who have attitude, the best positive attitude, because this is a customer service uh, mm-hmm. uh, business that we're in. If you don't have the kind of desire and the, and the ability to kind of like people and interact positively with people, you're probably not going to do well in the restaurant business. You know, you might want to go over and, and do something else. And I'm not going to pick on accountants, but, you know, you can probably be in accounting. And you don't have to be, a, a, you know, kind of an extrovert to, to do a great job with that. But these companies tend to be very good at hiring. They hire, you know, people who, who want to be there, and then they train them, right? And they give them training both on technical skills as well as what I call values. Now, I will tell you, I'll show you how this kind of gets manifested. I was just lucky enough uh, as, a, you know, kind of a middle-aged person to be recruited and hired by Wendy. And Wendy's is based you know, right here in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, during the interview process, uh, at the very end, I had an opportunity to be interviewed by Dave Thomas. And some of you might remember Dave Thomas as the founder of Wendy's and a um, you know, pretty well-respected person uh, in, in the industry. And Dave, during the interview, didn't ask me anything about, can you do this, can you do that, what are your technical skills? What Dave wanted to talk to me about were the values of the company. Because he was interested to see, did my values align with the company's values? He was as interested in that for Wendy's as he was, he wanted to make sure that I felt good about that. So we talked about the values. And they were things like treat everybody with respect, do the right thing, give back. I mean, these sound so basic. 
but so many organizations do not operate. They do not have the value system, and we see it today everywhere. And so organizations better have a very clear sense of their values and articulate to the employees and train them if they don't have them coming in. What a great opportunity for a young person who might have had kind of a tougher upbringing, maybe not, not too much parental uh, in, in, you know, input, to go to an organization that helps them learn those things. And so that's, you see companies that are doing really well. They're good at those things. They really are. You talked a little bit about consumer confidence, and clearly we're, everybody in business is interested about that dynamic. How, how entrenched or how uh, hard, how, how entrenched is the feeling among consumers that they're doing okay right now? I mean, you, you get a, as we've watched, particularly the stock market, which is a, a you know, a barometer of value for a lot of, for a lot of consumers, they can sort of see their worth go up and down uh, by the minute these days. Um, there's been concern that at some point the consumers just may break down on that, or, or are you are you hearing from your members that they're pr still pretty feeling pretty good now, despite what might be going on with their portfolios? The portfolio thing is real, okay, and we almost have too much information by by the <laughs> minute, right? When Doug actually puts out the information about how well the stock you know did the day before and that kind of thing, you know, but all kidding aside, I think that uh, it's still fragile. It's fragile in the sense that, you know, people feel a little bit better. They have a little bit more, you know, a little more money in their pocket. Whether or not they're putting it into savings, that takes a little while to track that data to see your savings actually going up and down. You would hope they're going up a little bit. Um, but uh, they feel a little better right now, but it is fragile because, you know, what we went through in 2008, 2009, 2010 is still kind of seared in our memories. And so large purchases, things like that, take a little more time to come back. The restaurant business, and particularly uh, quick service and mid-scale, is a great leading indicator of the economy. And I've looked at this for over 25 years, and it's pretty darn consistent. If you see companies like McDonald's and, uh, and Wendy's and White Castle doing well, uh, you can start to see a little bit of that consumer confidence, because that's where it will happen first. They are not Consumers don't run out and buy the new Lexus. Or build the because the check is smaller there. And, yeah, exactly, and, right. Uh, and they might do that a little later into the cycle. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just fine dining that, that gets impacted by that is what you're saying. It's, it's, it's all segments of restaurants. I, I guess I would have thought the leading indicator would have been a little bit higher on the scale uh, and then, than fast food, which, you know. No, because if you think about it, uh, people at the high end, um, unless the economy is completely upside down, Right. They don't really, you know, the economy is not affecting their dining yeah. out, out of attitudes. They have plenty of money to, to go out. And that's, you know, the top, say, 25% of right. the people in the economy. Um, they're still able to go out and do that. Now, they might not go to the, the most exquisite fine dining is quite as much, right? right they might right, drop right, from right. the $100, you know, uh, check per person down to, to 75 that I mean, like where Dan, you know, Dan eats at two hundred dollars a person restaurants. But I think for lunch, I think it's yeah. lunches too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I see. Yeah, um, you know, but on the it, it does does the economy then and the, and that kind of trend then play into this fast casual kind of transformation that we're seeing, where you know you're you're starting to see people trade up from fast food. To fast casual instead of McDonald's, they go to Five Guys or something like that. Um, or do you think that that's independent of the economy? That's just where dining is going. Yeah. No, I, I think that's independent of the okay. economy. The economy. I mean, we could spend probably two hours talking about the, the economy and all the aspects of it <clears throat> because it is it's complicated. And yeah. uh, but the trend about food uh, sometimes um, 
independent with that. And fast casual is a great example. By the way, if you follow any business over a long period of time, any industry, you'll see these kind of trends come and go. And you have to kind of look at them and say, is it a murmur? Is it kind of a, just a little bit of a movement? Is it a trend? Or is it actually here forever? And, and you just look at this, and, and, I, and I teach this at, at Ohio State, these kind of things in marketing and strategy classes, because we examine this. In the restaurant business, it looked like fast casual was an interesting little trend for a while, but it's more, much more than that, because it's, it's not just those who have declared themselves, I'm fast casual, because some of them have, right? right. Five Guys is a good example. Piata here in, in Columbus is a great example of that. But what happened is once they started to get some success, what, what started to happen? Well, the people who are slightly upscaled from them started to, to look at some of the things they're doing mm. and mimic them, okay? So is it, you know, we let you kind of see our food while we're cooking it. Maybe we talk more about our ingredients, that kind of stuff. And clearly QSR compresses upwards, right, in the sense of not necessarily price, but in terms of the, the way they prepare their food and speak about their mm -hmm. food and maybe even package it. Mm. And you can see that depending on the chain, but, but clearly, it, you know, uh, you can take a Wendy's, for example, and some of their higher-end salads, yeah. that they've offered in the last several years, those are, you know, really aimed at a consumer who, you know, would go into, you know, and I love Panera, but if you go to Panera and you buy a salad, say, for $7, Wendy's is trying to give you a, a product that's similar to that, but say for four and a half or five. Right. right. So all these chains are truly competing, and, you know, what's, ha what's great about business is people emulate the best, and fast casual has been the best for about the last five to ten years, and that's proven by... Uh, all the trends we look at, that's the traffic trends, it's the check trends, it's also the stock market trends. Because you look at the darlings of the stock market, it all goes together. What else is on the horizon in terms of approaches to dining besides fast casual? What, what, might, what, what are one of those or two of those things that you sort of see out there that you're wondering whether it will become a trend or not? Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of uh, chatter right now and, uh, and some early on um, concepts that are doing uh, truly the, the kind of the farm-to-table ideas. And, and, and not just speaking about it, but they're actually doing it. And they're small enough that they can truly do it, right? So they'll say, we're sourcing 70% uh, of our product, uh, you know, from, and we're going to name the farm. We're going to mm -hmm. tell you precisely where the eggs are coming from, the beef, uh, you know, the tomatoes, that kind of stuff. And they actually build their entire brand around that experience. Now, what'll be interesting is if they decide, okay, now we want two locations. Can yeah, we do that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what happens when you start to get geographically dispersed? Chipotle is a, is, a, is a firm that started to dabble in that. If you go into Chipotle, you'll see they'll kind of talk about, you know, we, we try to source these things locally, and they'll speak to that. But it's now a national footprint. It's very hard for them to say with a lot of integrity, if they have a, a restaurant in Maine, we've sourced everything from Maine. We know that's just not possible, right? There's just not every ingredient they need is going to be found in the state of Maine. So it just gets harder as you get larger, but you'll see movement. And, you, and I tell you, grocery, uh, uh, grocery chains are the ones who have really kind of figured this out. If you go into a couple of the, the great chains, you know, that are, you know, uh, kind of based, uh, you know, here in Pittsburgh, we have, we have Kroger and Giant Eagle, you see a lot of this, right? They'll actually they'll literally have chalkboards saying, this product comes from this farm in, uh, and they might say, uh, in, uh, you know, somewhere in, in the middle of Ohio. And it's really giving the consumer a reason to kind of pause and say, that's different. And, you know, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like to know. And it's called transparency. And that's a, that's a phrase we see a lot, transparency of ingredient uh, origin. Uh, and so origin is one. And then the other is integrity. Is it processed? Mm -hmm. Of course, consumers are being trained now that process is bad. Whether it is or isn't is probably up for debate, but consumers are hearing that everywhere. And so one example of, of that 
if you've looked at the uh, the sales of processed cereals over the say past five to ten years, they've been in a pretty steep decline. And uh, that would be, you know, the Kellogg's of the world and the Post and, and things like that. I have, a, I have a box of Cocoa Puffs on my desk right now. <laughs> That's a true story. You're always bucking, you're bucking the trends, yeah, yeah, clearly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Locally sourced. I that, did, uh, that might be processed. Yeah, I yeah, it might be. I don't think it's naturally occurring. Um, I did. Have, I, I had one. Uh, I had one other. Uh, I had one other question I, wa- I wanted to ask you about. Um, uh, certainly within the industry, this was was notable news last year. I don't know how much you know. Maybe the general public knows about it, but there's a guy in New York. Uh, with a company, the guy behind Shake Shack, uh, uh, Danny Meyer, who uh, who announced that he was going to do away with tipping in his restaurants mm-hmm. and and change the pay model. He was going to raise the prices and just you know kind of pay everybody a a, a higher wage, uh, you know, straight back to the cooks. Um, you know, he's only a couple months into that. I, I believe he's only rolled it out to one or two of his restaurants. So who knows where this is going to go? And I also know he's not the first person to do this, but maybe the most high profile. Do you hear from your members, anybody, you know, uh, considering that, curious about that? I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on that, that type of a change to, uh, you know, pay inside a restaurant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Danny's been a great restaurateur. If you don't know, he has uh, some high, you know, fine dining restaurants in New York, as well as, the, you know, he was the founder of the Shake Shack, which is a very cool place uh, mm-hmm. to go uh, in New York City. And so it takes, you know, essentially the hamburger and French fry and, and you know, just makes it almost a... Uh, kind of an occasion, you know, mm-hmm. to, to go there. And, and, of course, you pay for it, but yep. uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty special. So Danny gets a lot of attention, and I think he's trying to innovate. He's just looking at the market and saying, can I do something a little bit different and maybe get a little bit of a competitive advantage? And if it works, you know, maybe some people might follow me, and, and that might be good mm-hmm. uh, for people. It might not. Most of our members are not in favor of that. I would think that that yeah. would only be yeah. good in certain kinds of restaurants yeah. where you want to encourage your employees to service customers really well, you know, and, and, and the, 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 the tip certainly is an incentive for that. So I had this exact conversation this morning with a, a restaurateur of ours uh, in the state of Ohio, and, and he is adamantly opposed to it, adamant, and, and most of them are. Mm-hmm. He just happened to be a little more articulate than others. And he said, here's what happens when you do that, right? The tip is a way for him to incentivize his workers to do even better customer service mm-hmm. than maybe they even thought was possible. So... Uh, there's some studies out that argue both sides of this mm-hmm. equation, but I'm telling you, as I talk to people who literally stand in the restaurants every day, those are the people I believe, yep. not the, even the people who are doing research at universities. I am interested in their work, but I'm much more interested in a member who looks me in the eyes and say, John, here's what happens if we do this, right? I cannot incentivize employees to give that great customer service. If they give great customer service, and today they have two tables, mm-hmm. they're making a certain amount of money, they get tips, they do a great job. If they do a great job, I give them a third table. And the reason is, they're making more money, and I will tell you, we have servers all over the state of Ohio, and clearly right here in Columbus, as I've talked to a number who make, uh, the, the one I talked to this morning at the Polaris Grill mm-hmm. makes close to $80,000. Now, you will not make that on a minimum wage. Right. Okay? You just won't do that. Um, there's a server at uh, Barcelona, you might know that, that nice mm-hmm. uh, restaurant mm-hmm. here in Columbus, that makes even more than that. Mm-hmm. And the reason is they give fabulous service. Okay, now those... Restaurants happen to be ones that have you know, a little bit higher checks than, than every restaurant, right? But it all scales. Mm-hmm. And if you do a great job, it's a great way to bring great employees in. They can have a career. It it's actually gives them a lot of flexibility in their life. A lot of people you know, take serving jobs because they, at times they want to work full-time, maybe because of family reasons. Now they want to work part-time mm-hmm. for a while. They can come back to it. And once they're good, the restaurateurs know who they are, and they're constantly trying to get them to you know, come back. And the young lady I was talking to today has worked there for 10 years at the Flares Grill, as happy as could be in her role. And, of course, she would be 
yeah. making that kind mm -hmm. of money. Well, Actually, you, tried to put my application in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's, it was interesting. The uh, the article I was just reading it. It, it pointed out the the consumer side of that too, with uh, with uh, consumers both being confused um, and then also sometimes mad because they see they see the immediate increase in the price yeah. of the food. Um, and don't always necessarily do the math and realize that with a with a tip of twenty percent tip, they're probably paying less than what they were paying before. But it doesn't look like it's it, it's a so. psychological thing too. I think we've grown up, particularly here in the United States, and it's different in some countries. There's some countries mm -hmm. where tipping is not really part of the culture, but here in the United States, we've grown up with the culture of saying, you know, you did a nice job, uh, Doug. You did a really good job today, and you know, instead of giving you uh, ten percent, um, I'm going to give you twenty today. Because, you know, when I come back, hopefully you'll be here again. You'll give me great service again, right? And they form a relationship. We do that yeah. I know it's hard to believe that Doug <laughs> would do a good job, but, you know, they, they form a relationship with these servers and, you know, they form the relationship with the restaurant. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an extension of the way they just think about taking care of their family. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the reason I'm not so sure, even psychologically, this will be a great thing. Clearly, the restaurant owners are not all that interested. And then, more importantly, the servers are not mm -hmm. interested in this. They'll make less money. And, and then lastly, for the consumer, uh, prices may go up even more than you think uh, because, you know, they want to make sure that they offset this, mm -hmm. and they might have to pay way beyond sort of whatever the mandated minimum wage is to kind of make it work. Hmm. So if, if, you're, if you're a restaurant operator, does it make any difference what, what restaurant you have, whether it's high-end, fast food, what companies would you watch? What companies would be the ones that you keep an eye on for – uh, either innovation or good management practices or operational practices? Who comes to mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that uh, I look at it through a, fil uh, a filter of uh, a kind of greatness. And, uh, and you can measure this different ways. You can measure it by how many people are standing outside that restaurant on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to get in, that type of thing, right? Remember what Yogi Bear said, nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> it's that kind of too stuff. crowded. It's too crowded. Um, but, you know, that's, that's clear. That's easy, right? That's, that's the kind of research that's very easy. But you just look at people that have this long track record. And I, when I say greatness, greatness can be two years for certain change. You say, well, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then the next thing you know, three or four years down the road, they're kind of struggling. They're closing units. You know, they, they tried to franchise. That's not working so well. It's hard. This is a tough business, okay? Almost everybody I know has said to me at one point in my life, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about, I mean, someday I'd like to maybe, you know, know something about a restaurant, get in the business, and I say, stop. Okay? It's actually very hard. If you have a skill in something else, just go visit the restaurants, right? Don't try to start one. But that doesn't stop people. You know, it's, it's almost, it's part of our land of opportunity. I was going to say, what is the allure of that? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's the American dream. Okay? It's, you're not going to go out and probably the four of us at the table are not going to go out and own a baseball team tomorrow, right? We don't have that kind of money. But you can get into the restaurant business particularly if you get into a franchised one. You can get into it for relatively low investment, right? And kind of you still roll the dice for a lot of people who get into this. There a lot of first-generation uh, uh, immigrants have gotten into to many of these chains, and uh, they've been able to make it work. And the reason is they work tirelessly, and they're so dedicated to it. They love the business, that they're in there all the time, and they do a great job. And early on, they are the cook. You know, they're, they call themselves the chef, right? They're the, the head of HR, they're their own accountant. You know, they do their own supply chain. They do everything. They literally do it all. And um, because of that, they then know the business so well. And those are the restaurants that I look at, particularly after they've succeeded over a long period of time, and say, those are the ones I'm kind of watching because something's happening there. It's not just the food trends. It's what are their HR practices? How do they treat their people? Why do these restaurants have people who have been working there for 20 and 30 years? I was at the refectory the other day. We were doing some work with uh, 
Kamal Bolos, and he's the, the owner. He's been there 39 years. The GM's been there 36 years. The chef's been there since the 1990s. No, well, why is that? They love it, and they've obviously had some track record of success. They love the business. And so that's, those are the ones you kind of want to watch from a business perspective. From a food perspective, you know, we get all kinds. Of, we're getting overload of information today. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is flip on any of these cooking shows, and, and, and you see all that. Um, and, you know, some of the fast casual uh, people, or people who at least position themselves as fast casual, they're probably doing some of the, some of the best innovation uh, right now around food. Um, the big chains tend to be very, very good at, uh, at, at kind of doing things that will translate into the P&L and cash flow. Mm-hmm. They get really good at things like offers and marketing and, and, and things like that. So it depends on what, what, you're, what you're looking at. I, I'm kind of curious about the sort of the economics of, of restaurants. Do you, if, if, you're, if you're out and you're starting a restaurant, do you have to drive yourself toward chain operation? Is, I'm, we, we see so many, we report on so many restaurateurs that sort of have that in mind. And I know there's sort of the business, building the business empire is always attractive. But is it is it attractive because they have to do it to 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 to, main, to sustain themselves, or is it something further? Um, most people who kind of just inch into this business uh, start off with one location, whether it's a chain or it's their own concept. Their own concept, they better be darn good at it. But by the time they do, because it, it's a tough business, just economically, it's a tough business. But most people, once they get one going, you know, they can't help themselves and say, well, wouldn't it be great to have a second one? Mm-hmm. We uh, we're meeting uh, with. Uh, uh, the uh, the head of uh, Chili Verde, which is a pretty well known uh, mm-hmm. concept, they have one uh, you know up at uh, Carriage Place in, in Columbus, and they opened a second location up in Polaris, and and I'm sure for them it's an opportunity on a number of fronts. One is just sheer scale, right? They get better scale on purchasing, and so instead of buying you know napkins for one restaurant, now they're buying them for two. So they get slightly you know better purchasing and things like that. They also have the opportunity then to promote people, right? So they have some great people that work for them instead of. That person being an assistant manager, well, now they have the opportunity for two general managers, maybe four or five assistant managers, maybe a couple shift supervisors. So everybody has a chance to kind of grow. And, it, and that's, that's the American dream, and I think that's what people pursue. That's why they go beyond one. It's both economics. You know, clearly it makes it more efficient for them to hopefully make more money. And secondly, it's the opportunity they create. And, and many of them will talk about this, and I tell you, they are so emotional when they talk about the second one. The thing about creating these opportunities, I used to listen to this early in career, and I'd say, why are, they, why are they getting so emotional about this? Well, they poured their heart and soul into it, and they've watched people come into their business as young people and kind of grow up right in front of their eyes. And some of those people stay with them. Some of those people go out and have a great career doing something else, and they're very passionate about it. That's one of the beautiful things about this restaurant business, and one of the reasons I, I agreed to kind of take this, uh, this role uh, at the Restaurant Association. I mean, as head of the Ohio Restaurant, shouldn't you be encouraging people to open restaurants? I mean, you said a second ago, you know, oh, hold on, uh, think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, shouldn't your message be this is the greatest industry and, you know, entrepreneurs can thrive? It's both. Um, I, do, I do say that. It's a great industry and entrepreneurs can thrive. But, you, you know, you need a little bit of hesitation before you throw your life savings into it. Mm-hmm. You better have a plan. You better start thinking about, okay, how am I going to fund this? Who's going to run it? Am I going to run it? Am I going to step out of my job to do this full time? Do I know some people in the food business that I can rely on? Do I really know food distributors who can help me? Yeah. I, you know, there is really requires a business plan. And most people who have this kind of inkling of getting into the right. restaurant business, there's no business plan. 
Right. Right. They make a really good pot of chili. Right. And some friends have said, hey, you know, Doug, you make some really good chili. Why don't you open a restaurant? Right, you right, say, right, great right. idea. Open yeah. some chili restaurants. Yeah. Well, there's already some chili restaurants out there, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's already hard for them. Um, it's a hard business. Um, but I tell you, like, you look at, I'll give you an example, Cameron Mitchell here in town, right? Yeah. Cameron, if you read his story, you know about him. He obviously started off, you know, uh, uh, pretty humbly uh, as a young person. He kind of built his business, got better and better at it. He obviously got very lucky and, or smart, whatever the case might sure. be, and kind of sold off you know, some of his uh, business. And he's rebuilding it in a beautiful way today because I'm sure he would say, look, I've just learned so much more being around this business. I'm so much better today at my age than I was when I was 30 or 25. Right. Um, so part of it is you really want to, you know, you, you just you got to be able to pay the price and you better have some smart people around when you do it. It's like any business. Can you imagine the three of you starting a new uh, newspaper chain today? Right. No. As much <laughs> as much as you three know about it, right? You'd, you'd really have to think long and hard. Well, what's what's a better model? Why would I do this? So, for example, if you said I'm going to open a chili restaurant, well, who are all the competitors out there now? You're going to do it better than. That's one of the, the questions. Yeah, yeah, so you have yeah, to yeah. you have to put your business hat on. And most people don't really want to do that. So if you're not willing to do it, then we can help you. We can give you consultants and people who have been about around the business for a while to give you some advice and yeah. help you. Look at it that way. We have financial consultants. We have business consultants. We have brand consultants. We have foodies that can look at it and say, hey, that's not on trend today. It's right. probably not where you want to go, right? right. You want to go over here. So, for example, one of the trends we hear about from our members a lot today is craft brewing. So craft brewing is kind of, you know, it's bubbling up, and you're starting to see it all over the place. Sometimes it's a concept in itself, right? It's just that's all it is, craft right, brewing. Right. Other times it's just added on to, to kind of contemporize a restaurant that, you know, may have been lost a little luster, and they all of a sudden, boom, you see them, they have, uh, you know, seven or eight Ohio brewed, uh, you know, beers in that restaurant, and so now that's a contemporary thing. And, and so, you know, you got to look at these trends, and you better be kind of on trend unless you have a un- something very unique, and, and that's, you don't see that too often, right? So it's, you know, you're part of some little community, you're the only game in town, things like that can happen. Sure, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. Well, if it was starting chili, Doug would start it in Cincinnati because you're such a big fan of, <laughs> yeah. of Skyline and Gold Star. We know how much you, you picked love a good it. example. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so what do you? And I'm not. We're not asking to you know for you to expound your views on it. But from your membership, what do you hear that either worries or encourages them from um, the uh, political race for the race for the White House? It is such a different race this year. I'm kind of curious how business has reacted to this, particularly not only not, not just because it's, 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 it's restaurants, but restaurants are part of business, and business has gotten a bad name from just about every candidate out there. Are they angry? Are they, do they ask you to um, uh, set some people straight on that? Uh, what's, I, I'm kind of curious how, they, how they're feeling. Because they're, 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 like you said, they're, these are very entrepreneurial people, and, and they've, they've laid it out there. And i got to believe that in some cases, they're feeling that are just not appreciated by these people. Um, I will tell you, I, I can't speak for every business. Absolutely, uh, it's not in the restaurant business, but I can speak to the restaurant business because I've been in it for a long, long time. And I can speak to because I've talked to enough of our members. And, um, you know, they're very, very proud. They're proud to be part of America. They truly are. They're proud to be part of the fabric of whatever community they operate in. And some of our members operate in very little towns like Galleon, Ohio, or, you know, somewhere south of Cincinnati or, you know, in Youngstown. And they're very proud. And they're the fabric of the community. And people love them, right? Not only do they operate the business, many of them are 
part of the community. They give back and they volunteer, and they're just they're very proud about that. And so I will say that when they hear comments uh, from political candidates, it doesn't matter which side, um, that aren't very positive, they're offended. They're offended by that, right? Because oftentimes the comments are politically motivated. They anybody who knows a small business owner who's put their entire life savings on the line and works in that restaurant 10, 12, 15 hours a day, no one in their right mind would ever criticize somebody like that. They're, that's what made America great. That's what's beautiful about this business. So they're offended by it. I would say most everybody um, that I talk to, uh, and, and, and it's at all levels, right? people who are very sophisticated with large businesses down to the smaller operators, they're very concerned. They're very concerned about what they see. Um, on the Democratic side, you know, they're hearing about, you know, sort of we're going to give everything to everybody. Well, there's only one way to pay for that and that's through some sort of, sort of taxes of somebody. It's likely to be through some sort of business taxes and things like that. So they're very concerned about that right now. Many of our restaurant uh, members, their bottom line profit margin is not as big as you think, right? In the, in the quick serve business, it can be you know, as low at many of the restaurants around the low single digits, and even mid-scale and fine dining, not a whole lot higher than that. And people are surprised to hear that. That's why, back to your question about why would you go to a second location or a chain, because you need to get some scale, right, if you want to make it. more money, unless you have some kind of unique selling proposition that's, that's unusual. So they're very concerned about that. I think on the, uh, you know, I think on, uh, you know, what we've watched here in the last several months with uh, the debates and the kind of the rancor among the candidates, I think many of our restaurant members, the word I would summarize, they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed by watching the political process. They haven't even thought all the way out to, well, which candidate might actually win, because mm. who knows at this point, right, it's all over the place. But I think they're embarrassed to be Americans. They're watching this, you know, kind of uh, play out on our TV screens day to day to day. And, and as, as a person who's been around business for a long time and politics, because I'm deeply involved in politics now, and I was vice chairman of our, uh, our, our political action committee at Wendy's, we watch this carefully. And I watch so many politicians who are respectful and thoughtful and careful with what they say. And, you know, they may be kind of, you know, strong on their positions, but it's not, they're not offensive to other people with those positions. They, they at least do it, and they come across the aisle, and at times, you know, they, they, they're able to kind of meet in the middle and things like that. And what we have today is just, it's, it's just sort of, um, it's, 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 it's sad to watch it, yeah. And so they're worried about that, and they're worried about the kind of the fallout of that kind of activity. And whoever survives this, uh, you know, this political process, we're wondering what, what it's, what's it going to look like for business. And um, so we don't know, you know, who's going to win. You know, most of our... Most of our members, you know, clearly would lean towards business-friendly uh, candidates, um, and and the reason is obviously that you know they want to be able to grow their business to help the economy. It's all about making America greater, and this is not a theme. I mean, this is how they talk to us, and and so you know I'm just kind of relaying what they they share with us. But they're concerned; they're truly concerned. So in in Ohio, and I I, I presume the association does an awful lot of lobbying. What what are the things that are on your agenda for? restaurants in the state? What are the things that they're looking for or looking to see um, either legislated or no longer legislated? Mm -hmm. Probably the biggest one is the um, concern about wages and things like tip credits and things like that. And the reason is, um, again, What's a tip credit? well, so it's the ability for somebody who has a, a restaurant that you know, has people serving and they get they get a certain they get a lower minimum wage than the 810. OK, OK. okay. Um, and the reason is, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, these servers are already making well above the minimum wage. In fact, you know, I gave you a few, a few examples of, of what they're making. They're very concerned about things like minimum wage where the government imposes kind of these artificial uh, levels on wages. We're starting to see this bubble up in a few places, and Dan mentioned it, right? We see it in New York City. 
where there's a push to you know moving the minimum wage to fifteen dollars. We see it in Seattle. We're actually seeing it kind of bubble up in a few other cities. And um, you know, the business owners, when the minute they hear this, they're out talking to their politicians, and they're talking to their politicians about, do you understand what's going to happen if you push the minimum wage kind of artificially high? There's nobody in business today, if you know anything about running a, a, a P&L of a business, right? And so every business has you know, a certain amount of labor costs and you know, whatever the material costs, and you just kind of get down to P&L. And if you take one and throw it completely out of whack, only three things can happen. And this is what they'll tell the politicians. I'm going to have fewer jobs in my business. I'm going to give fewer hours to the people who are in those jobs. And I'm going to raise prices. Because the first two things are actually hurting the people you're trying to help. And, and by the way, when I'm talking about these members are telling me this, they're not economists. They're people on the front lines running these businesses. The thing about raising prices, if you do study economics, right, let's say we artificially take up the minimum wage to $15 in the state of New York, which it looks like it may be heading in that direction. We know that the prices of everything, not just food, are going to go up, right? Inflation is going to rear its head. And so even though those individuals might be making more now, the cost of every single item they're going to purchase is going to go up. And if you study economics like I did, and if you look at almost every economist who studies this, you don't really get ahead in that game, right? There's a little bit of a surge where the, the wages are ahead of inflation, but almost always catches up because this is, you know, we live in a, in, in a world where, you know, market forces eventually kind of catch up. And so rather than artificially driving things like minimum wage, what we want to do is have the business climate particularly for small and middle-sized businesses, as attractive as it can be, because they'll open up restaurants. They'll hire more people. They'll give people training. They'll give them the opportunity, particularly in the restaurant business. This is a place where many people have their very first job. Okay, you talk, you talk just pick 100 people. You know, go over to the, the Clippers game and ask 100 people, what was your first job? Mm -hmm. My guess, more than half would say in some restaurant. Right. Arby's. Yeah. Is, is that right? Arby's? Yeah. In Arby's? Arby's? Yeah. yeah. So that's what they're concerned about, and that's what they ask us to stay on top of. And, uh, and to help them, you know, kind of get access to, you know, to their local politicians and to make sure people understand, you know, our point of view. And by the way, we're the third largest employer in the state of Ohio, so most politicians are willing to kind of hear this. It's How a, many employees is that? What's it's about 570,000 people. Wow. Yeah. About $20 billion in sales in the state of Ohio. 570, so that's more than 10%. Yeah. Right? Because there's five. There you have it, some thoughtful insight into the restaurant and food service industries by John Barker, head of the Ohio Restaurant Association. You can find all of our podcasts at SoundCloud or iTunes. Just type in Columbus Business First or the kicker into the search fields to get them. And you can find our business reports as the news breaks at columbusbusinessfirst.com. At that website, you can sign up for our morning and afternoon roundups and weekend reports. Until next time, I'm Dominic Kappa. Thanks for joining us.